welcome to the Grow My Salon Business podcast, where we focus on the business side of hairdressing. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and I'll be talking to thought leaders in the hairdressing industry, discussing insightful, provocative, and inspiring ideas that matter. So get ready to learn, get ready to be challenged, get ready to be inspired, and most importantly, get ready to grow your salon business. Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Grow My Salon Business Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and it's great to have you here with us today. Over the last 20 years, salon hair fashion has predominantly been more about colour and styling than the era of the haircut that ruled the 60s, the 70s, 80s and 90s. In fact, I'll often today talk to young hairdressers who now only want to colour and style hair. And I'll even confess that they're terrified about the thought of cutting unless it's just taking the ends off long hair. But then I'll also talk to salon owners and sometimes clients who say that they just can't find stylists who have the technical and creative skills to cut hair well. Like everything, it will change. And like everything, there will be educators who built a great reputation on teaching the craft and methodology of good cutting techniques. My guest on today's podcast is one such person. He is Ben Brown, who has built a very successful cutting education company. And although based in the UK, Ben works in many countries, teaching the art and science of what makes a great haircut. In today's podcast, we will discuss why opening a salon isn't for everybody, starting an online education company, teaching technique and suitability, social media, and lots more. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Ben Brown. Hi, Anthony. I'm thrilled to be here. I'm thrilled to be able to spend this time with you and your audience. Thanks for having me. My absolute pleasure. I'm I'm equally thrilled to have this opportunity to talk to you. I know we've uh, had a couple of conversations before. I know you've got a lot of you know really good value to share with people. So uh, Ben, let's start off uh, the way I start off with most people, which is essentially getting them to introduce themselves. So uh, who is Ben Brown? Give us your sort of two minute backstory, and then we'll dig into it. Okay, so I am uh, 42 years old. I live in North Derbyshire in the United Kingdom. Uh, My full-time job is I teach salons, seminars. I teach one-to-ones. I also have an online education site that I have to manage and produce new content for. I am a husband. I'm a father. I'm a very, very passionate advocate of training and haircutting. Yeah, with a real emphasis on that last word, haircutting. Uh, Absolutely. So I'm, I'm excited to talk to you about that because uh, there's not a lot of people at the moment that are as focused and disciplined and, and specialised in, in the, you know, the haircutting side of the craft. But I, I want to go back a little bit because uh, I, I know from uh, our previous conversation is that you didn't start out as a hairstylist and you started out as an architect or you started out studying architecture. Uh, Talk to us about that because I'm intrigued by that. Well, yes, it is quite interesting and I agree. I think it's a great place to start because it is ultimately, I started architecture when I was 16. What really, uh, what I really was drawn to with architecture was the pragmatic process of creating form. I was very inspired by 
some of the old towns in the United Kingdom, the old architecture, 1600s, 1800s, 1900s. And when I finished school, I really wanted to get into architecture. So I enrolled onto, uh, into a college and started a two-year course learning about what was called architecture and the built environment. This essentially took me through different areas of architecture, surveillance, and what have you. Um, what I would say is, unfortunately, it really wasn't what I thought. I thought we would be looking into how we, we just drawing beautiful pictures of buildings and learning. But of course, there was much more about building regulations. It was much more about the different elements of building materials. Yeah. Uh, so it wasn't quite what I wanted. But to segue into it, I actually got a Saturday job, which for your audience in different parts of the world that aren't in the United Kingdom, this is something you do when you're, let's say, 15, finishing school, 16, just finished school, and you get a part-time job on a Saturday working in a salon. So I got a part-time job working in the salon where my mum got her hair done, and it blew me away. It absolutely blew me away, the charisma of the people within there. I never really met people like this before. Similar to many of the podcasts I've listened to with like Paul Stafford, Mark Hayes, very similar situation. I walked in there thinking I'd got my career sewn up, thinking I'm going to become an architect. I, I meet these amazing people and immediately ask for a part-time job. Well, my mum asked for me. Yeah. Well, my son needs a job. I, I have my head on here, which means you have to hire him. Yeah. And the, the, I started working for this salon on a Tuesday evening and on a Saturday. And I absolutely loved it. Absolutely loved it. Within my life, within from, let's say, as far back as I can remember, I've never really had any natural skills. Uh, I've never been able to draw or play a guitar or anything like that. But the area where I've always been able to remain significant was my work rate, how hard I worked. Uh, even if I was doing the garden with my grandfather, he'd be impressed with the level of, uh, you know, the level of work and discipline I'd have towards my tasks. And I've carried that through when I did play football in a team, I was probably the worst footballer there, but I was probably the most committed, <laughs> the most disciplined, <laughs> yeah. you know, and most focused. And I, I've definitely carried that into my hairdressing. Uh, it, it's a lot more natural for me to work hard in hairdressing than it was architecture. Yeah. Um, I was a lot more drawn to the service levels of the, the salon floor. I really, really enjoy working in an environment that is committed to the levels of service for okay. the client. Well, what, so, so let, let me just go back. How long did you do the architecture thing for? I did it for a year and a half. Right, okay. I worked, worked alongside, um, I did roughly about 18 hours a week yeah. for the, about 20 hours a week for the salon yeah. and did about 30 hours a week studying. Okay, so the salon thing, it was never a, a passion for fashion or being influenced by, oh. you know, David Bowie's hair or something like that. It was just, it was a job. My mum worked there and I could get a bit of money on the side. But then once mm. you started doing it, you thought, oh, my God, this is this is brilliant. This is where I belong. These are these are my people or whatever. So that's a, an interesting start to the journey. That one of the things I wanted to ask you about with that fascination with architecture, because you'll often hear hairdressers who will say, and, and the most famous hairdresser that ever lived, Vidal Sassoon, uh, he will often say, 
or did often say, I should phrase it as, he, he did often say that he was fascinated by architecture and that if he hadn't been a hairdresser, he would have loved to have been an architect. And there are many hairdressers out there who, when you ask them, if you weren't a hairdresser, what would you do? There are many that will say something similar. And so there's a relationship there to some degree. So what, what I wanted to ask you about is that, and we're going to talk uh, later about, you know, your, your, your cutting and your focus on cutting and your whole approach to it. But I suppose what I wanted just to ask you up front is, did architecture and that understanding of line and structure and design, did that fundamentally have an influence on how you think and do think about hair? Uh, you know what? I think it almost goes back to me playing with my Lego and Meccano as, as a really young, young person. So again, for anyone who doesn't know Lego, the building bricks, I'd have them as a young boy, but I, instead of being doing something ultra creative with these bricks, I was always trying to follow the instructions perfectly. I was always trying to build something nice and balanced and geometrical. And um, with architecture, there's a definite there's a definite balance between creativity and pragmatism. And I think there's a very cathartic balance there because I struggle to understand trends. I struggle to understand subjective sides of conversations. Oh, I like to make the haircut look boho, look chic, look disheveled. I struggle to visualize and align to those references. But when there's a technical pragmatic explanation, I'm very drawn to that. Now, I always found on my own journey of architecture, there was a real balance there. We had all the technical theory that really encouraged and really underpinned your decisions. So similar to coloring hair, actually, there were a lot of decisions that are made in color are underpinned by a technical premise or a technical rule. And, and it was a similar thing with uh, my approach to uh, my, my early approach to hairdressing was very service orientated, I have to say. My, the approach that I work to now, especially with my education, came when I was 34. But to stay, to stay in my younger years for a moment, I was, I was really drawn to the energy of the salon floor. And it wasn't the hair and it wasn't what people wore. It was how people spoke to each other. It was how they communicated with clients. It was how they lived. It was a very intense place, uh, very busy. And, and I seemed to click in. You know, it seems to be, again, I've never naturally fit into a football team. I've never naturally fit into anywhere. But I walked into the salon and immediately it seemed to be the place where I could definitely add the most value. Right. And, and really, for 16 years, I worked for that salon. Okay, so the salon that you started off as a, as a, as a Saturday boy. I only, only ever worked for them. Yeah. Right, so when you left studying architecture you went there and worked did an apprenticeship did your training Correct. there then became a stylist and you were there for 16 yeah. years wow yeah okay yeah. well that's that's that's, that's loyalty that's <laughs> like yeah it is a rare thing these days that's loyalty and that's commitment and you know you touched on something before where you said you know that that you couldn't necessarily measure up as far as i forget the words you used you couldn't necessarily compete on this level, but you've always been able to compete with your work ethic. And there's a lot to be said yeah. for that. I mean, I, yeah. I know a lot of hairdressers over the years who have phenomenal talent, but nothing's sort of become of them. That's, that's, I suppose, one of the advantages of getting older is that you see people at different points of their journey where you think, oh, my God, they're going to go a long way. But so many of them 
fall by the wayside. And it, it's not because of a lack of talent. It's because no, of a lack of that, that tenacity and that, that you know, determination and commitment to sort of keep on going and grind. So, you know, that's a that's an attribute that shouldn't be uh, underestimated. So you, you were very clear then that you said, and I stayed there for 16 years. What, what happened mm-hmm. at the end of 16 years? Well, uh, on my 15th year, my wife and I had our daughter and I was, I was 29, just turned 30. I had a beautiful daughter, uh, married to my dream dream woman. And then you start to quantify your life, I think, and take stock of how am I going to get that house in the country? How am I going to achieve this? And I, want, I thought that the most logical route was to open up my own salon because my, my boss, who was my mentor and someone who I found very inspiring, he, he was incredibly successful. And, and I, t- I would say that when I left and I put up my own salon, I have to say that I realized how good he was, I think, when I left. So I really found it difficult. Um, uh, I opened my salon in 2011. We closed it in 2017. Just to give you a, a little, you know, it stayed open for six years. Mm. And throughout those six years, I have to say, I don't think I ever earned a proper salary in one month. And the reason for that was there's a very clear and, and proper reason as to why the salon didn't work. It didn't work because I ran it. I ran it all heart, no head. I, I never really ran the business like a business. I ran the salon floor and hoped that by being a very busy hairdresser, that all the other jigsaw pieces would naturally fit together because yeah. we've all got clients coming in. But you see, we, we sometimes made our biggest losses in December because we would over, we'd be overspending like crazy because mm-hmm. we knew money was coming through the till. I opened, you know, I remember, I remember there's loads of stories to it. I mean, in, in the, in the earlier years, you know, we even had a pick and mix where we'd, instead of having a little bowl of lollipops or something on the desk for your clients, we had a pick and mix because we were always trying to do something that would promote us and to um, build a, a great characterism to clients. What do you mean by pick and mix? I, I just know there's the people all over the world going, what the hell is a pick absolutely, and mix? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so, so, you know, if you go to the cinema or you go to the sweet shop, there'll be loads of jars with, with an assortment of like, you know, different sweets. And we'd have these little bags and the clients could get the scoops yeah. and they could have a little bag of sweets. Now that cost about $500 uh, a month. And this is a business that isn't making good money. So you mm. see, there's a lot of very silly decisions. Right. Um, one thing we did well was we did provide a good product. And when I say we, I just mean anyone that was with me throughout mm. the journey, because the reason the business failed it wasn't because of the staff it wasn't because of the climate it was because it isn't what i'm supposed to do it just because i was a good hair cutter or i was good at delivering service or whatever it was that made me successful in building a column they did not carry me to building a business it's a yeah. total you could almost be a terrible hair cutter and run a very successful business oh many people and are I, Many, many people yeah, in our industry yeah. are not good at doing hair, but they're very good at running business. And they are totally different skills, as you've said. So, sorry, mm-hmm. carry on. No, I, 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 I totally echo what you said. I mean, I mean, a lot of the people who I know who are really successful, um, I mean, there's very few van councils out there who are all amazing hairdressers as well as amazing business people. 
I certainly <laughs> didn't have a clue. I remember we opened our first day with a minus. We had an overdraft facility, which was that the bank would let us drop below zero with our, with our balance. Uh, of uh, we had a maximum overdraft of three thousand pounds, and we were two thousand nine hundred pound overdrawn, and that was we started on that. So it's just it's just crazy, it really was. Yeah. But then I the what 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 was good that came from it um, was so many things. There were so many blessings and lessons. Um, there were some incredibly difficult moments where I would struggle to pay my own bills at home. That would take a toll on my own life with my wife and my daughter. You, I realized slowly but surely, Anthony, I began to live quite un- undignified because I started to not have integrity. I wasn't um, holding my word to people. I'd have a rep come in from a product company where I owed them some money. And I said, yeah, don't worry, by Thursday next week, you'll have that check, it's in the post now. And I hadn't even posted that check. Mm-hmm. And slowly but surely, I totally lived in a way that was unrecognizable to the person that opened the salon. And you know, it wasn't a bad thing. I would like all your listeners to know, I don't consider this a bad thing, I consider this a chapter. And if you just have uh, every chapter you're reading is positive, it'll be a very boring story. You can't have light without shade, I suppose. And ultimately, I remember there was one day where I was cutting hair and this lady walked into the salon. She looked very glamorous. And I walked up to her. This is in the final stages of the salon. And I said, hello, how are you? And she said, are you the owner of the business? And I said, yes, I am. And she said, well, I'm an enforcement agent for the Inland Revenue, which is like the IRS. Mm-hmm. And I need to speak to you because I owed them about £9,000 in corporation tax that I haven't paid. And, and, and I'm very, I'd like to be very honest and transparent throughout this. The business did close with around, roughly about £30,000 debt which I was still held accountable for, even though we were a limited company because I wanted to still be in business. I didn't want to have to sell my home to pay off the debts. Mm -hmm. So I went into a repayment scheme, but we did have to close the business and it was a blessing. It wasn't a, it wasn't a terrible thing. It wasn't it was a mercy kill. And you know, what was interesting, Anthony, when she came in, yeah. And I spoke to her. She, she was really nice. I have to say, and, and she, I just said, you know what? I'm glad you're here because I, I've ignored your letters. I put my head in the sand. I knew this was going to happen. Mm-hmm. I'm just glad. I'm glad it's finally. I'm glad today's finally the day yeah. that it happens. The one good thing I just want to go back to um, to 2014. This is roughly halfway through my salon's lifespan. I was teaching a young girl that worked for me, Anthony, and we're doing a model day. And it's, every Tuesday was training day. We did a full model day on training day. And um, we were doing a, a set of long layers that we all do where you start at the back and your sections pivot from your profile section to your radial section. And, and she just asked me, um, why do your sections pivot? Like, what's the difference then between the pivoting section and the sections just remaining vertical? And I had no idea, Anthony. I didn't know why we did that. I didn't understand the difference. I just knew the how. I, I understood it was what I was showing. 
it was what I repeated. I realized I was, you know, more like a parrot, really. I just kept repeating what I've been showing many years ago. And, and that was that was all my hairdressing really was. And the reason I was such a busy hairdresser was because I was a great salesperson and not a great craftsperson. Now, the reason I'm, I'm adding this to the story is because this was the moment where I began to retrain, which moves nicely away from being a salon owner, failing, not paying my bills on time, but then having aspirations to change and move into education. Okay. Before so, we do that, though, I, I want to I want to ask you a couple of questions about that life of the salon owner. Yes. What was because that's a that's a fascinating story, and it's a, it's good for people to hear that. So thank you for yeah. for sharing and your your you know your honesty about that. What was the number one lesson? that you learned from that experience? You need to prioritize the, the actual cash flow and the actual numbers. That should be your priority. I would think that either hire someone to do it or, do, or learn how to do it yourself, but don't neglect it. Okay. You should right. really be managing the business properly. Yeah, definitely. So I don't know if that is the same answer to this question, but it's a similar question, uh, and that is what advice would you give to someone listening to this, some 25-year-old out there, wherever they are, who thinks it's time, you know, it's time for me to open my own salon? I mean, that was interesting what you said about when I said what what made you decide to open a salon. You said married, just had a mm. child, and I thought I need to be able to provide and, and build something here. So sometimes people open salons for all the wrong reasons. So what's the advice that you'd give to someone who is thinking that that's what they want to do? Because it isn't the right thing for everybody. It is for some, but it sure isn't for, mm. some, for, for others. So first, when I opened my salon, I wanted to um, earn a really good living from being a hairdresser. And I thought that was how, you know, you could be making money from not even cutting hair eventually. Now, my advice would be from the very, very start, from the very, very start, do your cash flow projections, stay incredibly disciplined, always bank your money, don't spend any money you haven't planned. And I would be incredible, I would keep your costs as low as possible, which we didn't. We, we went in there with all the bells and whistles straight away and started with a minus £3,000 balance. Yeah. And we almost, couldn't, could, we almost couldn't pay our first, our first month's worth of wages for the team. Right. So I would say start small, grow big. And I would also say make sure you work with Anthony Whitaker. The, uh, <laughs> <laughs> because in all truth, in, in all truth, though, I mean that the, what I think had I had I have had I from the start worked with with someone like yourself, I, we wouldn't have had those issues. Mm. Um, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm being candid. I'm not just saying yeah. that because yeah, you're yeah. interviewing. Mm. I, I I really think now that accessibility to to real um, experts is much easier than it was mm -hmm. 10 years ago. Um, and I, I think that that's what I would have done from the very start now is work with somebody, either part of them into the business or pay them to help me grow yeah. it alongside. Yeah. Oh, no, that's, that's, that's great advice for, for anybody. Okay, so 
We, I, I do want to talk about education. Uh, I know that's your real passion. It was interesting, you, you, that story you just told us about the, the young lady you were teaching uh, mm. it made me think of, of my journey into education. Uh, and it was a similar thing in that uh, uh, I was an apprentice and I was watching someone do a haircut. And um, I'd come into hairdressing from the construction industry, so I knew nothing about hair. And I was watching this guy do a haircut. And at the time, I didn't even know what it was called. It was basically a graduated bob. And I was looking at this, the back of it, how this hair is just built up in sort of layers, this shape. And I can just remember looking at it, being completely amazed that you could do that with hair. Mm. Uh, And I said to him, his name was Glenn. I said, Glenn, how do you do that? And he looked at me and 100% serious said, it's feeling. Now, I didn't know anything about hairdressing, but I knew that he was never going to be a good educator <laughs> because I knew yeah. that it isn't feeling that there's a technique there that you're doing yeah. something, but you just don't know why you're doing yeah. it or how to explain it or what it means. And so as you were talking about that young lady asking you about the pivoting radial sections or yeah. vertical sections, I thought that's exactly it. And so so let me take you back to that moment because, that, you know, I, I was going to ask you, why did you decide to specialise in teaching haircutting? And that moment that you told us about sounds like the catalyst for that decision. Well, I... I was, I think I was kind of pigeonholed or earmarked as someone who was good with short hair. Um, it was more down to a confidence with the client. You know, I'd always be quite happy to, to do any client. Um, but a lot of people in the salon were nervous to do, do that, say, short hair. So I was always getting, so I naturally felt like I was good at hair because I was always busy with the difficult haircut clients. Um, but when, what's interesting is that when we, um, when I was working with this young lady called Holly, she's lovely, still friends with her today. She um, said, you know, what's the difference between the two? And I had no idea, but I just gave her some like fluffy sales pitch yeah. as to why it worked, really, because yeah. I wanted that to stop. Mm. And, you know, I couldn't afford, in truth, Anthony, to go on the courses. You know, I think to myself, I could spend a week at Sassoon's and this will really help me out. You know, have a five-day course at Sassoon, but then you've got £1,100 for the course. You've got the cost of the train, the hotel, and more importantly, the £3,000 I would have took a week for my salon that my salon wouldn't have had. Mm-hmm. We just couldn't afford that, Anthony. My business did not have that sort of structure. But I suppose you can make adjustments or you can make excuses. There was plenty of excuses there, but I decided to buy two books. I bought the ABC by Vidal Sassoon's and a book called Future Classics, which was a toning guy book. Mm. And I must confess that when I first opened the Sassoon book and it was indicating that we do use three core shapes, um, we do work with a round, square and triangle shape to explore form, I felt even more lost. Um, I felt worse, actually. I felt like I knew a lot less than I thought because I just didn't understand how you would use those shapes to, to build a haircut. Um, and, but I stuck with it. I have to say, Anthony, I, I constantly read and read and read the, the book. And I think, that's, I think that's why it's such a good book, because it gives you more questions than answers. 
you know, I think that's why it's such a such an amazing uh, bit of literature because when I read it, it didn't just tell me the answers. It was make, making me think more. And I essentially just practiced and practiced and practiced haircutting. I would use social media to try to connect with real experts out there to, you know, follow them on Instagram and they'd be giving away little tidbits of information about holding the scissors and whatever. Um, I've still to this day only ever had one day's training. Um, I've never had anyone else train one day with with a great hairdresser called Richard Ashforth, who owns a brand called Seiko. Mm. And what I used to do for your listeners, this is a bit of an interesting uh, thing to hopefully help them in their own journeys, because they could be someone who's got two children, a salon, and they've got really busy lives. And they might be thinking, I I can't actually take time out of my salon either. So cut to the chase and tell me what you did. Well, I used to film myself cutting hair, Anthony, and I used to focus on one haircut, only one haircut. I never used to do anything else, but I used to just do the graduated bob or triangular graduation. That's all I used to do on a mannequin head. Someone would say, Anthony, that if you do that haircut 50 times, you'll perfect it. Well, so I thought I'm going to do it in 50 days. I'm going to do one of those haircuts a day for 50 days. And I have to say, it took me a lot longer. Well, I'm still learning how to do it now. But it, after 50 days, I certainly wasn't, it certainly wasn't perfected. But I was a far better hair cutter than I was before. Mm-hmm. And what I did every time I um, did this haircut, Anthony, I would film myself on my iPhone. And I would be, um, I'd watch it back and make notes. And these notes might say, your third section, your body position drifted onto the shoulder instead of staying in the center back. Um, your ninth section, the over direction was too low. Your left hand side, the over direction was too far forward. And I would make these notes and then I would revisit the haircut again with these notes on the mirror, written out on the mirror. And then I would recut it and I would, re- I mean, I put a lot of time, a lot of energy into my retraining. And slowly and surely, I would be starting to post some of the better videos, Anthony, of me practicing online. And at this point, People generally, it was mostly color on social media, Anthony. It was a lot of crazy color, uh, ombres, root smudges. There wasn't masses of cutting videos on Instagram, or so it seemed to me. Mm-hmm. And I started to post cutting videos, and they really used to go off. They used to get like a lot of views, and um, that helped me to build my social media, and that helped me to um, start BB Education. Because people then are looking at these videos and the, the proofs in the pudding, you know, I'm not editing it. I'm not doing anything fancy with it. I'm not promoting a brand with it. I'm just sharing my journey of learning with you. And people would get something from that, either a, either a connection or inspiration, whatever it may have been. And that would prompt them to connect with me and ask about education. I never initially set out to be an educator. I wanted to work with a brand. This makes me laugh saying it now, but mm. I thought I had to work with a brand, Anthony, to work in education. I thought that was that was it. That was the model. It was either Sassoon, Turning Guy, Mahogany, Alilon, Seiko, but you didn't just become an independent. Mm. I think the only two independents at the time was uh, Mazella and Palmer, Jean-Baptiste Mazella and Dove Palmer, when they partnered together and they... They really traveled the world um, teaching haircutting. And I initially, all those doors for product companies were kind of closed, I have to say, which is understandable. And I agree with that because 
I suppose at that point, you know, your, your business hasn't done very well, blah, blah, blah. But I started to hold classes in my own salon, Anthony, for free because I needed to learn how to teach. I needed to learn how to teach. This was when you teach. still had the salon. Yeah, yeah, the right, final okay. year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, once a month in the final year, which is 2017, mm. So January until November, we closed in November, Anthony, 2017. We would host once a month a cutting class. And I have to say, you know, we used to give away places and, you know, just to people say, you know, we just, we just want to, I just want to teach. Every time I do it, I'll get better. I'd be promoting it on social media that I was doing it. Mm. No one knows it was free. You know, I think people get wrapped up in this sometimes. Like, the outcome, there's more ways to get paid than just getting paid, you know, and I, I use those opportunities to promote myself as an educator. And I learned alongside those 11 classes I did, I learned masses. And each time I did it, I got slightly better. Yeah. Do you still you work know? in the salon now? Sadly, no, I really miss it. Right. And um, the reason I don't is when I started to work overseas a lot more, as you know, those schedules are quite demanding with travel yeah, days and what have you. Yeah. We also launched our own online education site, which requires me to film and edit our own content. And it just didn't have the time anymore. Yeah. And I, I wasn't able to give the clients the level of service that their money really, really demanded. And, and I didn't want to treat them like friends and just do their hair whenever. Mm. I wanted to maintain the sort of same level of service I had done before. Yeah. So when you when you decided to close the salon down, I mean, you alluded to the fact that you you had you know a debt that you had to clear that obviously mm. would have taken time. Uh, were, were you still working in like behind the chair in a salon for someone, or did right. you go straight into full time launching education? No, thanks, Anthony, because I'll clear that up, actually. I, uh, when we closed in 2017, there's a salon in uh, Nottinghamshire in, in the UK called, he- um, called Haven. Um, Colette Osborne, who's now one of the head of the, of the UK Hairdressing Federation, um, she's an amazing woman. She's like an ex-accountant. Um, she took me in, so to speak, and allowed me to work uh, totally self-employed, doing clients alongside building the education. Oh, so for the first year, I would say, I would do two full days a week of clients, uh, two to three days a week of clients, and then I would be uh, doing education jobs on like the Monday or the Sunday. Right. Okay. So and on the back of that, you built up your education side of it. So, so are, you, are you just a traveling educator now, or do you have a base? Do you have an academy or a space that you work from? No, no, I have no base, no academy now at all. Uh, total, total travel. I mean, I have a studio at home. Uh, we converted a part of my house as a studio so I could film and edit uh, from my own home instead of hiring a premises. I think the second you get four walls and a roof in what I do, mm-hmm. um, you have a huge amount more costs. Yeah, definitely. And I don't want. I don't want to feel the pressure of having to sell myself to to pay those bills. Uh, you know, we had that with the salon. I wanted to organically grow my business um, in in, the, in a way that that built rebuilt my self esteem uh, and was able to live with a level of integrity. Unlike when I had my salon, when you've been telling people. Trust me, I've put that <laughs> that checks in the post, and it hasn't been. 
You're not the first one who would have said that, no, I promise you. No, so um, do, do you colour here as well? Because you talk always about cutting and you're so passionate about the cutting side of it. Is that where you've sort of nailed your flag to the mast, cutting? Uh, yeah, or do you do some it, colour? In truth, it is. Yeah, I mean, um, we, I did used to colour on the salon floor. I did a lot of colouring, I have to say. Uh, I even did the L'Oreal ID artist as a colourist. Um, that was a two-year thing a while back. Mm. But I, I don't – I think nowadays, um, colouring for me, I just find it quite stressful. Um, I think it's amazing, and I think it's incredibly vital to nearly every single look. Um, I just find – the subjective side of, of colouring difficult to grasp. If I give you a scenario and to your listeners, uh, most of your listeners will probably be fantastic at hair colour and you'll have a client sit down and they'll indicate to you that they would like uh, a colour and they want roots, but they don't want roots. I find that very difficult. But if, if this client sat in my chair for a haircut and said, I want layers, but I don't want layers, I'd totally get what she meant. You see, so... I can handle the, the cutting side of it, but the colouring side of it, I don't feel I'm up to scratch uh, to work in, in, the, in the current markets of colour. Okay. What, what, what are the fundamentals that make a good cutter? When you're training someone, when you're out there, you know, and you, you see some young kid, you know, young kid, you know what I mean, a, a 20-year-old who's yeah. just starting on their journey in this industry and, and you know, you're teaching a group of them and there's, there's, there's this, you know, uh, example that I'm using, one person, and you look at it and you go, wow, they're going to be good. What is it that makes them good? What makes them good at cutting hair? What's that sort of fundamental thing that they have? I think it's a calmness, personally. And um, whenever I watch a great hair cutter, they always look calm when they're doing it. Mm. You know, and what I mean is sometimes I'll be teaching someone a haircut and they're getting really worried or stressed or about certain things and, and they're losing the flow of how they'll move. And what, what I would say to everyone is there's building technique, which is moving your hands, moving your body, moving your arms, moving your shoulders understanding how much tension is in your fingers and getting those tiny little touches, those micro movements to really get the shape nailed in. Those things require a lot of practice. You know, it certainly did in my case, you know, to, to really understand, let's say, one, one particular mechanic elevation. You know, you could pull that section from a low to a high point and still have a guideline in each of those elevations. It's understanding the processes, it's understanding the techniques and having the knowledge to combine them. So what makes somebody, in my opinion, um, I wouldn't say good, but I say easy to train or coachable is when they're quite calm and, and they understand that this is gonna take time to learn. And not that, well, if I don't do this haircut perfect on the first time I've, I've approached it, I clearly can't cut short hair. You know, Anthony, there are some great similarities I use with colour and cutting when I teach. And I just want to share them for a moment. If um, It's very rare that I meet an individual within the salons I teach, Anthony, domestic or overseas, that are, that are nervous to colour hair. You know, it's very rare you, you encounter a junior stylist, an apprentice or anybody really that is nervous to color hair. But it's a relatively common thing when I find someone is nervous 
to cut short hair, let's say. And often I feel that the majority of the decisions that are made in color can be explained. You can, you can explain the difference between why you've chosen to do a foilage opposed to a balayage. You can explain the difference between why you've chosen to use 6.23 instead of 6.32. You can even make color notes on the computer as to what has taken place. But in cutting, it doesn't seem as easy to explain why you're doing what you're doing. And that's really what I try to do, Anthony, is I try to make it, I try to make sure that I can explain all the moves I make. I don't do anything that sets anyone anyone's world on fire. I don't do anything creative. What I aim to do is to deliver whatever results the learner wants. Whatever results my client wants, if it's a salon owner, she might say, we have seven, seven staff working for us. We have three quite junior members and we have myself and three relatively senior members. One of my jobs there then is to help build a basic, clear understanding of the why, the how, the where and the what if to the junior side of it, building confidence. And the other side of it is looking at the practical use of disconnection to help diversify their approach to their normal salon clients. So what I'm getting at is my approach to education is always generally, to, the, the main thing is to, to deliver whatever results the learner wants. But what I think I what I what I love doing the most and what I think works the best in most education structures is I aim to replicate very classic haircuts in front of the audience. One of the reasons is if I cut you a graduate of Bob Anthony or a Firefly, as someone who was an art director at Sassoon's and worked with some of the best hairdressers that have walked the planet, you know exactly how they're supposed to look. You'd agree, wouldn't you? Mm -hmm. You know exactly how that haircut's meant to look. So I've got to get it perfect in front of that audience, you see. Whereas if I did something ultra creative, there's not the same matrix we're going to judge it on. Whereas what I find very cathartic when I retrained and when I teach people is the matrix via which we, we judge the haircut is quite obvious. It's obvious if it's correct or not. And the education within a graduated Bob is so pragmatic. You can explain everything you're doing. Whereas if I am doing something ultra creative, that's come from a different place in me. That's come from an emotional place that I viscerally feel this is the correct way of doing it. Okay. So that's what I aim to do is to deliver a clear understanding of why and how and when things work. Okay, we'll come we'll come back to that in a minute because there's some really good things there I want to touch on. Um, there was something you said earlier that that made me think of an expression that I use that you you were talking about the positioning and the the, the finer points of how you stand, how you hold the scissor, the comb, the your body position, etc. And all of that is, is very, very important. Uh, and I used to say to people, look, in order to go fast, you need to go slow. Because a lot of hairdressers do what I call the hairdressers two-step, where, and I'm sure you'll know what I mean when you sit when I describe this, their hands are going a hundred mile an hour, but they go over it and over it and over it from 10 different angles. They keep recutting the same thing. And it's so blatantly obvious that, listen, if you just knew what you were doing once, you do it once, you do it right, it's done, you know. And, and so that hairdresser's two-step, which looks like they're going fast, is actually slower 
then do it once and do it right, rather than going over it again and again and again, trying to get it into the shape that you anticipate it to be. And it, it, it takes me back to where you were just, the way you were just talking then, my my story about the guy that I said to, you know, Glenn, I said, how do you do that? And he said, well, it's it's feeling. And when you're talking, in, in all due respect to Glenn, he couldn't teach. There wasn't a lot of theory there. But my God, he made women look beautiful. Yeah. And I fully recognised that that was a, a, an, an art in another way. Do you know what I mean? So when you're talking about it, and my background is, you know, similar to yours, um, you know, from a cutting perspective, is that we talk a lot about the theory, about the angles, about the, you know, it's almost the physics, the, the math, the science. And this makes me go back to that question I asked you before about the link between architecture and hair and why you, you know, can you see a connection? And so what I want to ask you, trying to pull all those loose ends together, is I want to ask you about the feeling side of it. I want to ask you about the suitability side of it and how you teach that and the fashion side and how you teach that. Because I can teach people how to do that graduated bob. I, I can I have the the ability to be able to understand and break it down technically. But I certainly don't mind saying that suitability, really understanding suitability was a whole nother thing again. And really understanding fashion and really understanding what really made a woman look beautiful. And you again, this is something you said before, not just a lot of fluff. You know, you mm. said when that young girl asked you, how do you do this? And you said, well, I gave her some sort of bit of fluff. It, it's so easy to yeah. do that. There's hairdressers all over the world that they, they just talk a load of BS, just these fluffy platitudes about what they're going to do and why it's going to be so fabulous. But when you get them to drill down, well, why does that suit her? What is suitability? What is beauty? And that's why, and I know you've listened to those podcasts that I did with, you know, two people that I admire enormously, you know, Guido Pilau and, and Eugene Suleiman, for both of them as, as editorial session hairdressers, I mean, you know, arguably the best there is in the business. I'm always more interested in how they think than what yeah, they actually do with their hands. It's the thinking process. So, so talk to me about that. What is suitability? How do you teach suitability? How do you fit fashion in around what you're talking about? Oh, I think you d- we definitely have to, because otherwise what they're doing is not commercial. So firstly, when I teach suitability, I got this tip from a brilliant makeup artist a while ago, and he would always look to emphasize three things on the person's face, Anthony. Uh, This was the eyes, the lips, and the cheekbones. Now, so when we look at, like, for an example, when we look at the sectioning of a haircut, Anthony, quite often that is influenced by the face. You know, if if we're looking at the the section for a fringe, for example, I'm getting to the point at the moment, I promise. Um, if someone has a rectangular face shape, we might want to reduce the elongation. So that affects the choice of the, of the section for the bangs, if you will. So we talk about what you want to be able to see on the client is when you're looking at them through the mirror, when you're pulling hair off the face or when you're moving bits and manipulating it, perhaps you move the parting is what do you see first? 
Do you see the hair or do you see the eyes of the lips and the cheekbones? Do you see the chin first? Do you see the forehead first? You want to be able to be to see one of those three things first. That means what you're doing is bringing out the best features in the person's face. Now, as somebody that doesn't understand trends very well, I've always felt trends were not a should, Anthony. I always felt that I worked to the suitability, not the trend. Um, you know, you could have somebody that looked amazing with a, with a 1960s bob, and, and it's a very timeless thing. So I never really went with a trend. Um, I think clients sometimes bring the trends to you. I think sometimes the client would say, oh, I like this haircut I've seen, and uh, you know, whatever it might be. But when I look at the response Responsibility I'm given to teach people. We try to explain as much as we can about the eyes, the lips, the cheekbones, about understanding the the, the um, how important it is to align the technical understanding of how the haircut is built, but also it's built based on what's going to make her look fabulous. As you said, Glenn was a master at this. So we need to definitely, even this week when I was teaching a class, we did some long haircuts and we talked about face shapes and eyes, lips and cheekbones. And just to give you another touch on this, because this is the same with color in all honesty. If I dyed my hair now, um, like a dark maroon color, um, which is nothing wrong with that color, but all you would see is my hair, Anthony. You know, all you would see is my hair. You wouldn't see any of the features and, and that's really what I'm talking about is I think it's a difficult thing to put into a sentence, but I try to remain pragmatic with my approach, which is we want to emphasize the eyes, the lips, the cheekbones. We don't want to emphasize the forehead, the nose, the chin. I mean, there's nothing wrong with someone, someone's forehead, nose and chin, but I doubt anyone's ever gone out on a date and said, if he doesn't talk about my forehead on this date, I'm going to be absolutely devastated. <laughs> I'm sure no one's ever said that, but they might have said, I really hope he notices my eyes or I really hope she notices this or I really hope they notice this about me. So I, I take an approach that is still quite pragmatic. And like I said, that is just me. Mm. Every, you know, you'll have other great people um, talk about their versions of it. But you see, I aim to be, to educate. I aim to be able to teach from the fundamentals up. And it's my belief, Anthony, that once we help someone to master it, have a certain level of mastery on the very basic principles, they'll establish a sense of competence within that area. Now, it's with this competence and this, this, this feeling, they'll become more confident with their approach to their clients. And they'll be more innovative then with finding ways of solving problems with their clients. I believe that the next step is the creative. I think it, it doesn't, I don't think you can teach creativity, Anthony. And there'd be a lot of people who disagree with me. And I always welcome that conversation. But I, you can't teach charisma, you, you can't really teach these things. What you can do is to help someone understand why it works, how it works, when it works, and what if it doesn't work. And then with that, they will evolve and their own character, their own understanding of suitability. I mean, because who taught who, who taught the masters? You know, they they were in the right environments for the right people and were able to do the job that had to be done. And that developed them and their understanding. I don't really have an answer, mm. um, but I have a way that I look at it. 
And I would say that through my experiences, like I said, I'm never going to set your world on fire, Anthony, but I can help you understand how the basic side of things work. That's what I aim to do, I suppose. Yeah. No, no, you do a great job of it. Um, let's talk about change because there's a lot of changes. I mean, we're in the change business and, and a lot of people talk mm. about all the changes that are happening now. Well, there are a lot of changes happening now, but there's always been changes happening. It, it, it's interesting as you get older, you sort of look back at it and you go, well, hang on, there's always, there's always changes. You know, it's not, it never, never stood still, but there are very definitely uh, lots of changes going on in the industry at the moment at a business level. And so as a freelance educator, how do the changing business models, so there's a lot more people now uh, that are working as independents, as freelancers, as self-employed than what, than what they were 10, 20 years ago. Mm. And that's happening all over the world. So how does that impact on you as an educator? Because in days gone by, I'm the salon owner uh, and I've got 10 staff working for me. That was the predominant business model. And as a salon owner, I would employ an external educator to come in and put on a seminar, et cetera. Yeah. But now I'm the salon owner and I've got 10 freelancers working for me. I am not obliged to pay for their education. So as someone who is a freelance educator, how does, how does that impact on what you do? In, in truth, it, 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 I don't think it does massively because you, you still get, I get a lot of freelance people or people that are self-employed. Um, they will book me for one-to-one -one sessions or a few of them will come together and book me privately uh, from one of the salons where they may hang their hats. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, obviously, um, like I, I went into freelance education, Anthony, after, um, you know, in 2017, after being in the industry for 21 years. So, you know, like I Obviously, uh, now we've got people who are 21, 22 year, years old after only really having four years on the salon floor going freelance. I was, I mean, I always think everyone's different and everyone has the right to pursue their own careers. And there's some amazingly successful people that have gone freelance and they add a lot of value to the industry in their own respective areas, whether they're session stylists or educators or whatever else it is they do. The thing is, after listening to so many of your podcasts uh, on, on my many journeys when I'm teaching, there's so many great hairdressers that started out only because they walked into a salon and were blown away by it. Mark Hayes, Paul Stafford. You know, if you look at Tina, the um, the uh, I believe she's the the director of Vidal Sassoon's in North America. You know, one of the greatest haircuts alive at the moment. And and listen to her podcast, Mark Hayes' part. These people never really set out to be hairdressers, but thank goodness they did. And they did because they went into a salon and they were electrified by it. I was the same. You know, you remember when Paul Stafford and his, he talked about how Belfast oh, was so great. Yeah. Oh, it's the, it's, it's, I have to say, um, mm -hmm. Paul Stafford's podcast, one of the best I've, I've ever listened to. Yeah. And, and you know, he said it was so great outside and, and he walked in and it was like Technicolor and everyone was, you know, <laughs> it just amazing. It was like a about, movie, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, for anyone who has. hasn't listened to it, you might want to check that out. Uh, an earlier podcast I did. Uh, I'll, put, I'll put a link for it in, uh, in the show notes. But yes, I agree with you. Incredible incredible story and a, a typical Irishman, a great storyteller and uh, his introduction and the way he talked really about is. his introduction into oh. hair and the world of hair was, was beautiful. You know, it really was. Okay. Um, 
One of the things I want to talk to you about was, and, and we've already touched on this, is that over the last 20 years, there's been a real focus on colour. And if you go back to, you know, 20 years seems like a long time. But if you go back to 20 years ago, the focus was all on the hair cutter. Um, mm-hmm. And now it's all about the colorist. And uh, I meet salon owners all over the world or speak to them all over the world on a regular basis who say to me, Anthony, I cannot find young people who can cut hair. Mm-hmm. They can do balayage. They can do beachy waves. They can do all that beautifully. They can do it better than what our generation could or my generation could. You know, they can dress hair and colour hair better than what they could before. But when it comes to cutting hair, they just, they can't do it. They don't do it. Not that they can't do it. They don't do it. Because for the last 20 years, predominantly, no matter where you are, whether it's in the UK, whether it's Australia, whether it's North America or anywhere else in the world, we've been living in a world of long hair. So what I wanted to ask you about is with the generation of people that you're teaching now, those young 18, 19, 20-year-olds that that you are teaching them the craft of cutting hair with a pair of scissors, what what do you see there? Talk to us about that. I mean, it's interesting, actually. I spoke the other day when I was teaching a class and, and I said this and I said to ask them to wait until I finish before they jump. But I just said, there's never been a better time to be an apprentice in regards to access to knowledge. Information, I mean, there's never been, there's everywhere. There's YouTube, there's Instagram, there's access to it everywhere. But there's never been a harder time for an apprentice to have access to models. Stop asking your friends. None of your friends are going to have short hair. Stop putting posts on Facebook. Go to the older generation. If you walk through the streets um, and you see an older person, 9.999 times out of 10, they've got short hair. Approach them, ask them in a very respectful, very, you know, friendly way uh, I, 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 hi my name's Ben I'm uh, in the final stages of my advanced training my level three or what my beauty school and what I'm really looking to do is just to get really good at short hair I love your hair I actually like how it looks already would you consider having it cut next time by me complimentary I just I would love to cut it for you you know I, I worry um, that because they don't have this access to the models they just use their social media to get them but half these people aren't on social media so my advice is don't go to your friends go to your grandparents go to the grandparents friends go to older communities mm. it doesn't matter you're not doing a photo shoot you're not entering a competition with them you're learning a craft that will that will stabilize you for for you for, for, for you know for decades so yeah i would just say yes there's lots of access to information but not models and that's what i see Mm, okay. Do you see that changing? Yeah, I mean, I mean, well, I think now that the doll's heads have got better, the mannequin heads have got far, far better now. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they don't ruin your scissors anymore. So mm. <laughs> I think most of my education classes are taught with a mannequin head um, because it enables the learner to do like a, a short uniform layer, Anthony. How yeah. difficult is it to get a model for that? Mm. Um, but yeah. I, I, I wouldn't 
I wouldn't be deterred by that. I, I don't even think it's necessarily a bad thing because the trends are long. Mm. If all of a sudden everybody wanted short hair, maybe then maybe then it'd be more of an outcry. But until that happens, maybe it won't change. It it will shift. Um, it always shifts. Fashion never stays the same. And I think the catalyst for shifting it is often about how many twenty-year-old girls do you know who want to look like their mum? The answer is. <laughs> Very few of them. That's such a a good point. If you're a 20-year-old girl, your mum's probably 40. And guess what? Your mum's probably got long hair. Do you know what I mean? That's a good point. So so there's this there's this shift that that will happen as as I I hesitate to say is already happening, you know, but there's a you know, I mean obviously there's girls out there with short hair and it's so refreshing when you see them. But I think in a big way that shift hasn't yet happened, but it will happen. And, and that will be the catalyst for it in a lot of ways, because it wasn't that long ago that it was sort of the, uh, I'm not going to say the unspoken rule, because it was spoken that women of a certain age didn't suit having their hair long. And whereas now you see women no. in their, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, all got long hair. And, you know, mm. that, 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 uh, that thing about women of a certain age don't suit their hair long, it's, it's just not true. You can be any age and have short hair, long hair. Right. hair. Um, look, we, we are not going to have a lot of time, but I really wanted to talk to you about your online education business. Um, And uh, there's obviously lots in there because that's where your real focus is these days. But uh, talk to us about your online business and and how did that come about? Sure. I mean, having used online education and books to retrain Anthony, uh, I I used um, my experience as a consumer to bring to market my own online education that was relatable to the salon floor hairdresser would be a great resource for a very busy salon owner where if they're really busy one day they could they could let me train the team by them watching and replicating certain tutorials or watching theory videos so we we have it in all our tutorials have um subtitles in four different languages arabic Portuguese, Spanish, and Italian. The website itself can be translated into eight different languages. We have the ability to flip videos, Anthony. So you can watch me left-handed or right-handed cut hair. Uh, We also have on, yeah, you know, why not? We also have online tests, which, um, you know, people can take a theory test, they get a certificate at the end. You know, there are so many great things online now. And I was very lucky, Anthony, because we'd set up two years prior to COVID. So, of course, we'd set it up because, you know, again, I did it, Anthony, because I used it to retrain. So because I was a consumer of it, I used that perspective to create something that was something I would pay for, Anthony. That's the way I always look at it is, would I pay me for a haircut? Would I pay me for this? Yes. Um, and ultimately, I'm very proud of it. You know, we, we're 98 countries worldwide now. Um, I, obviously, the reason we have Arabic is I work a lot in the Middle East. I work a lot in Latin America as well, overseas. So we we have these languages there to enable us to help people in different markets. Uh, two different price points. One is for roughly about $16 
uh, you get access to everything, Anthony. Over 110 tutorials, all the tests. $16 what? Yeah. A, a week or a month? or uh, Per month, Anthony. Per month, yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. per month. So, so, yeah. So, or you can, you, for about $7, you get the student package, which is access to 21 fundamental videos. So, we try to make sure that our price point is quite varied. It's low to the kind of the normal. Mm. And it was about creating an efficient, affordable resource for the everyday hairdresser. And that's what we've really created. And is that what most of your time is now spent doing? Or do you do a lot of one-to-one in salon education as well? Definitely training salon teams is is the majority of my time. Um, I would say creating something bespoke, teaching the theory, doing a couple of demonstrations, then doing a hands-on session with a team. That's generally where my most time is spent. But once a week, we film and then we edit a new tutorial. We take um, requests from our learners. I don't really do anything new. I I would say that to everyone. Look, I haven't brought anything new to market. I haven't got anything I've created. What I focus on is serving the learner. I focus on whatever it is, the results you want. I accept that responsibility of helping you achieve those. And to carry on the education, we have very efficient resources, our book, which is digital. Um, We have the online education. So there's no excuses, really. There's access to constant information to help you improve and to achieve the results you feel will take you to the next level. Mm. Okay. Well, and do you film and edit all of this yourself? You do everything yourself. Absolutely everything. Yeah, I had to learn how to do it. It wasn't. Mm. It doesn't come easy. Yeah. Um, but, the, but do you know why I teach, Anthony? Do you know why I teach for a living? It's because I love to learn. Mm. That's why. I, that's my why. My how is I aim to replicate classic haircuts and explain the basic mechanics and working order of those haircuts. Mm. That's how. I am. What I give you is I can teach you how to cut a haircut, but why I do it is I love to learn. Apps. So I'm learning Spanish at the moment. I lo- I'm really enjoying that. Um, I had to learn how to edit. I had to learn how, to, you know, like yourself with the sound engineering side of things. I've been through buying a cheap mic, and then realizing that's no good. I've had cheap cameras, then you know, I've different software. I've, I've had it all. I've, I've tried and errored it. And I think you've just got to commit to, um, you know, you measure your success by what you're prepared to sacrifice to achieve it. Mm. And there was a great quote I heard that, that really changed my life. And it was, uh, I can't remember who said it, but they said, you can't talk yourself out of something that you've behaved yourself into. And I thought, God, the amount of things I talk about, but I don't do, mm. you know, um, and, I, and that's when I just think, you know what, it's about my behaviors will change my life. Yeah. So I started to apply a lot of time to mm. learning new stuff. Okay. Whereabouts can people connect with you on Instagram or other social channels to, sure. to or your website to find out what you do and, and how they could uh, uh, potentially work with you? So to find out all about my products and what I do, you can go to my website, which is bbeducationuk.com. Now, but to, to connect with me personally or to see what's happening in my, in my career in more real time, uh, check me out on Instagram, and that is at Ben Brown Hair. Okay, cool. Well, I'll put now those links. Feel free to drop me a message. 
Anytime. Okay, I, I will put those links uh, on our website, uh, Grow My Salon Business, in the show notes for today's podcast. If you're listening to this podcast with Ben and you've enjoyed it, do me a favor, take a screenshot on your phone, share it to your Instagram stories. There's lots of wisdom that's been uh, shared today. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating and review on the Apple Podcast app. So to wrap up, Ben Brown, thank you so much for being on this week's episode of the Grow My Salon Business Podcast. No, I've absolutely loved it, Anthony. And I have to say, um, you're an absolute legend. I've listened to so many of your podcasts. I've always got so much out of each one. Um, and I would say the difference between so many businesses failing and, 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 and succeeding would be someone like yourself. So I would say that one of the biggest bits of advice I could give anyone is make sure you work with Anthony Whitaker from Grow Your Salon Business. Thanks for Thank having you. me, Anthony. Thank you. That's fantastic. I really appreciate that. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you'll find us at growmysalonbusiness.com or on Facebook and Instagram at growmysalonbusiness. And if you enjoyed tuning into our podcast, make sure that you subscribe, like, and share it with your friends. Until next time, this is Anthony Whitaker wishing you continued success.